Today is one of my favorite days of the year where we get to hear testimonies that have come from teens and from Beth. What a Thank you, Beth, for what you did at communion for us today. Uh, a lot of times when I engage in conversations with people who are not people of faith, maybe they've never made a decision for Jesus or they're questioning faith, whether I'm in a coffee shop or in my office or on a phone or in a neighborhood or wherever I may be, uh, when I'm engaging with people who are questioning and asking about faith and they know I'm a person of faith, they start asking me questions about Jesus or they ask me questions about my faith and, and never has anybody, whether I'm on an airplane or wherever it may be, no one has ever said Hey, I'm thinking about this faith thing. Can you tell me the theological significance of the book of Galatians? Or can you just share with me the doctrine that you stand on in your life? Or is announcements really one of the acts of worship or not? Like these aren't questions that come up. What people want to know and what they ask is, like, why are you following God today? Why are you a Christian today? And when people ask me these questions, like they're not asking like for me to tell them about my, my church attendance or that I'm a minister. What people want to know is like today in your life, like why are you choosing to follow Jesus today? A lot of times people aren't even asking for your conversion experience. They want to know like today, why are you surrendering your life to Jesus? Why is Jesus worth following today? So what we did this morning is like you hear stories of people who are bearing witness to what God has done in their lives and through this church and in this city in ways they have seen God at work. And we, we've seen pictures this morning. There's been a video. You've heard stories we have seen. And we have witnessed people who have been saved this summer, people who have been healed. They've been redeemed. They've been inspired. So whenever it comes to early August... Usually we have to ask, like, what do we do with all this? It's not just a matter of celebrating people who were saved this summer. Now, what, do we, what does it mean for us to live as saved people as we move forward from here? And it's a day like this that often makes me think about in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, where it says, like, we conquer, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the words of our testimony. What you heard today from people is not just storytelling. Like, this is bearing witness to the power of God in the world. This is bearing witness. This is giving testimony. What we're doing today is we're extending the testimony of Jesus. Not that the testimony of Jesus isn't complete. It's complete. But every testimony you hear of God's work in somebody's life and how God is using them is an, is an extension of the testimony of Jesus. It's, it's the aftershock. It's the ripple effect. It's the power of God that is still in the world. Open your Bibles to Joshua 3 just for a moment. I want to show you just a few verses. In Joshua 3, verse 5, it says this. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Before I go on, I just want to look at that one verse. Because I think the key of being a good leader today, especially a faith-based leader, a church leader, is that you're not just pointing out what God has done in the past, but you're trying, and I feel this burden on my life, to create an anticipation in people and in the church that we don't just serve a God who has done great things, we serve a God who is still doing great things. And God's doing a lot of things right in our midst, but we aren't opening our eyes to see it. So this declaration comes to Joshua, let the people know I'm about to do something amazing. And then in verse 7 and 8, what it says is this. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I am with Moses. So tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Like, just step into the river. That's all God was asking him to do. Now, at the time, the Jordan River was one of the fastest flowing rivers in the world. So it took, probably took a little bit of courage just to step into the river. Part of what's happening in Joshua 3 is that Moses has died. And Moses had been their leader for years. 
And the greatest event of the Old Testament, which is the book of Exodus, if you've never read Exodus, it's one of my five favorite books in the Bible. Just read it. You read about God's salvation, God's deliverance, God's covenant. And in Exodus 14, God parts the sea so the people could be delivered. And in doing that, God asked Moses to do something. Now, many of you, some of you, one of your favorite verses may be Exodus 14, 14, where the, the people of God are being pursued by the enemy. And there's this one verse that says, Moses told the people, hey, God's going to fight for you. You just need to be still. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Be still. Watch what God's going to do. But a lot of times we don't see that the next two verses in Exodus 14 is God saying, Moses, tell the people to move. They do something. So here in Joshua 3, what God is doing, God wants all the people to know that Joshua is the leader, that God is appointed. And now God is telling Joshua and the leaders of Israel, step into the river. That's it. God's about to do something amazing. And God is asking people, can you just step into the river? God invites partnership since the very beginning. God invites partnership. God is counting on partnership. God could do anything God wants to do in the world today all by himself. From saving people, saving souls, redeeming people in Ghana. Yet God is calling you and God is calling the church. Will you just take a step? Like just step in. Like just be a part of what I'm doing. Just step in. So the summer's a time when a lot of our rhythms are messed up. Whether you have kids and grandkids in school or not. You've been on vacation, you've been in summer mode, and in August, it's, it's August and January are the two months where there's re-engagement that happens in people's lives. We're re-engaging the church, we're re-engaging life, we're settling back in. And especially for teens and for those of you whose rhythms have been kind of crazy, we ask, okay, what does this mean for us? What does this mean? What does this mean for the church? Now, me and my family are asking the same question for our lives. I've been on sabbatical the whole month of July. I'm grateful to be in a church where ministers are afforded this. We have a church where over half of our staff has been here over a decade. You'd be hard-pressed to find any church where that is true. Uh, we love where we are. We feel a calling to be where we are. Sabbaticals are hard, especially for people like me. Because the moment you have to sit back and reflect and think about life and think about your calling, like your, your heart starts pulling, like games are being going on in my head, God starts poking and prodding. And in my own life, I feel that in John 5, there's this moment in John 5 where Jesus is engaging a man who had been sick for 38 years, and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And there have been times in my life where I feel Jesus asking me that, like, do you want to be healed? And what I've come to in my life is a lot of times I want the healing of God, but I don't want the diagnosis. I want the healing of life, but I don't want to have to deal with the symptoms. And for me to be healed and made whole, I have to deal with the insecurities in my life. I have to deal with the doubts that sometimes creep into my life about effectiveness and giftedness and things like that. And that's what sabbatical did for me for the first two weeks. Is as I reflected and repented and thought about my life and my calling and ministry, like God's pulling things and revealing things that need to be transformed and changed, and it's not always fun. The last two weeks, my family and I took a trip out to the West Coast. We had a lot of fun. And now we're in the process of reengaging, just like many of us. What do we do with all that God has done this summer in our lives? Um, we don't serve an event driven God. And I know for me as a teenager, a lot of times what happens is I felt that God did great things in the summer and God was on cruise control in the school year and then God would do good things again the next summer. 
As an adult, what happens is sometimes we think God does great things on a Sunday. This is where we meet with God. And then we'll come back here next Sunday so we can meet with God again. Not realizing that every event that God gives us, that we encounter God, is preparation for how we get to see God and experience God everywhere, everywhere else in life. So, um, I don't know if many of you are into the Enneagram at all. Uh, but it's basically like this personality assessment. So, so here's, here's how Casey and I work. I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which if that means nothing to you, what it means is this. A seven on the Enneagram is an enthusiast. It means I am always up for an adventure. I love adventure. I don't have to create the party, but I need to be in on the party. Like, and I want to be there early and I want to stay late. I'm always up for a good time. Throughout the history of the world, sevens sometimes make the best leaders because we're visionaries and we're coming up with big ideas and we're always thinking and, and planning the next trip, planning the next adventure. Casey is a six on the Enneagram, which means this. She is a loyalist, deeply committed to her people and to her context. Now, a seven on the Enneagram means I'm always thinking real big and thinking out there. Casey's always, like the weakness of a, of a six, the weakness of Casey is she's a worst case scenario thinker. For me, I don't think about worst case scenario. For me, it's like, let's go to the moon. And Casey's like, have you thought about how much it would cost to go to the moon? <laughs> I'm like, let's go conquer the world. And she's like, let's, let's just think a little bit more about the world. Now, the weakness of a seven for me is that I can reframe anything. I'm a glass half full kind of guy, and I also suppress pain. So for me to have times in my life when I've gone to therapy to deal with some brokenness in my life was a big step for me because I can suppress pain and press it down and pretend like it doesn't exist until I'm forced to deal with it. So we went on a trip out to the West Coast. We stopped at the Grand Canyon, two different places at the Grand Canyon. We went to the west part of the Grand Canyon where there's the Skywalk. This is on my bucket list. To walk out on a glass bottom hovering 3,500 feet over the Grand Canyon where you're looking down into it, it was a thrill. So we walk out on it. There are even moments where my legs were shaking because you're looking at clouds underneath you through the glass. It was, it was incredible. Then we go to the South Rim where we're going to hike. Now, I'm a seven. I'm always up for the adventure. I'm an enthusiast. Casey's a, she's a loyalist, and she's also a worst-case scenario thinker. So imagine what it was like for us to go to the Grand Canyon together. Because for me, it was like, let's zip line across this whole thing. And Casey's like, nope. And I'm like, let's hike all the way to the bottom and back up to the top. Seven and a half miles down there, seven and a half miles back. We'll take our time. It'll be great. And Casey's like, our boys can't walk through the zoo without getting tired. Like, this isn't going to happen. <clears throat> and then as we did hike a mile down and then a mile back up, imagine the different responses of us as we got close to the edge. Casey didn't want us anywhere close to the edge. She's already played out scenarios in her mind. For me, I, I'm not crazy. I'm not going to like hang over the edge, but I, I want to see like, what, what is this? So we came to a part where we were taking pictures and it was gorgeous. Uh, it, it was one of the greatest experiences of our lives. But for Casey, she's a worst case scenario thinker. But so, so what she had done, it wasn't just a fear of a kid falling. She had already played out the scenario. My kid gets close, my kid trips, he falls over, he's holding onto a tree. So she's already looked around, are there ropes around that could save my kid if he does fall? 
for me, I'm thinking, we've got to look because this is so amazing. Casey's thinking, if our kids fall, they're never going to be able to serve God for the rest of their lives because they may not be alive. For me, what I'm thinking is, there's an edge right here to the cliff, and there's also an edge to life. (laughs) And, And if we don't overcome our fears... And come to the edge and take a peek and join in the adventure. They're never going to serve God because they're going to be scared. So here's a picture. Can you show this? Here's us. And we took this just for the Enneagram, sake of the Enneagram. (laughs) Now, before you freak out, I'm not on the edge of the canyon looking 4,000 feet down. It's only about 3,000 feet down right there. I'm just playing. There's a six-foot landing underneath me. So for those people who have called me out, calling me an irresponsible parent because of this picture... There was a safe landing, all right? I'm not that crazy. But this was just kind of a, a, a way for, this is, describes our marriage in so many ways. I'm up for the adventure, let's go for it. And she's like, let's think about this a little bit. So think about the conversations in our house nine years ago when we made a decision to move into Binghampton or to move into an under-resourced community. For me, it was like overnight. It's like, let's just move. Let's go for it. Let's just put our house on the market and let's go. And Casey's like, how about we sit back and just think about this a little bit? Now, once we did move, since Casey's a loyalist and deeply committed to our people, which one of us do you think has been the better neighbor where we live over the last eight or nine years? Hands down, Casey. Committed to her people. Wants to pray over every neighbor she meets. Writes down their name. Now, As we think about boldness and courage and what it means to be people of faith, as you look at the picture, which one of us has more courage and more bravery, me or Casey? And I think the answer is both. So I was listening to a podcast the other day of Ian Cron. He's been a friend of mine for a few years. He's now a best-selling author. He's one of the lead voices for the Enneagram. And I was listening to a podcast. He had Sarah the Barge. I love Sarah. She's a blogger. Um, She's a a, a journalist. She's... uh, best-selling author, and they were talking about bravery and courage. And Sarah said this, and I think some of you need this. Write this down. She said that a few years ago, she thought hard about the difference between bravery and courage. And what she discovered was this. Bravery is this. It's that you don't feel afraid, so you take big risks, and you do dangerous things. Being courageous is this. It is when you feel all the fear but you choose to do it anyway because there's something more that needs to be done. Now, Jim, when I think about the teenagers this summer engaging in a lot of things, I think bravery comes easy in the summer. We're together as a group, doing work camp, going to Panama, and there's almost like, man, the summer is here. There's no fear. We want to see what God is up to. I think as we re-engage a school year and a school year rhythm, we need a lot more courage. There's reasons to be afraid. We may feel more alone in what it means to live for Jesus in everything we do. But anyway, because it's the right thing to do. And I don't know if your life today, if you need more prayers for bravery or courage, but both are true and both are needed. In Joshua 3, the rest of the story plays out like this. In verse 8, it's tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you all these different people. Verse 11, see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth 
will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Just step into the water. And we see what God will do. And stepping into the water may mean offering a word of encouragement. It may mean inviting someone to church. It may be sharing your faith with someone who needs to hear it. It may be extending a word of encouragement to a Latino or someone of Mexican descent who lives close to you, who may be in need of that word today. Step into the water through courage and bravery, and let's just see what God will do. I want to ask the elders and prayer leaders, if you will, surround the room this morning. There may be something in your life There may be a prayer for bravery and courage that you need. We're surrounding this room with people who are more than willing and happy and ready to receive you, to speak and pray a word of blessing over you. If there's something that we can do for you as a church, we have leaders, elders up here in the front to receive you. So let's stand together and let's sing as a church.